0: What if I told you that there's a cure for chronic pain? Yes, for that pain, you were told you would just have to manage. And what if I told you that that cure is already inside of you? Would you believe me? Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast, where we talk about how to truly alleviate chronic suffering. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and today you are listening to episode number 24. And that is the first episode for 2024. So, Happy New Year. I don't quite know what's in store for me or for the podcast this year. I hopefully be able to get out a monthly episode again. That's my goal. That's what I did last year. And I was really proud of that. I've already got a few episodes in the bag recorded. I've got some pretty good guests coming up. I won't give too much away, but it's going to be excellent. Mm, personal wise, last year was an amazing, incredible, full-on year. I, uh, I, did, um, I finished the first year of my clinical master's program in psychology, doing that part-time some extra training in Buteyko breathwork and spirit breathwork. But by far and away, my most incredible achievement was the first year of my son's life and being a mother and a wife and all the things. And that's really led me to some kind of profound reflections on life and the meaning of life and things that really just stem on from the mind-body healing work. You know, time—it's a funny thing. Thinking about you know, one day, I, one day I was once upon a time I was doing what he's doing, and one day he may be having his own family and doing what we're doing now, and I'll be grandma or dead or you know, one day I will be dead. It's a pretty crazy thing to think about. I'm reflecting a bit on you know, who am I? Is there a me beyond this meat suit body thing that I'm in? You'll hear me talk about in this episode here, how when you become a mother, you develop over a million new oxytocin receptors in the brain and something like that changes you. It radically changes you and the love you feel for a child is immense and you reflect on things like, how much of that is driven by these new hardware in my system and how much of that is me and is there a me under all that hardware? anyway, my philosophical musings, (laughs) I might let those go for now. So this episode is more for the mummers out there, but dads, anyone supporting mums, definitely get a lot out of it as well. I'm talking all things TMS and motherhood, but I also do a section at the start that should be relevant to everyone about uh, my relapse symptoms and what's caused them and what I've done about them, but otherwise, I talk a lot about you know brain changes in motherhood, birth trauma, the mental load of motherhood, just all these things that conglomerate to um, create really, really high levels of TMS symptoms in new mums. Now, I will say, I felt at the end of this episode that maybe I was a little negative. I should make it clear at the start here that there are many positives and joys and wonderful things. And it's not just the anger and the frustration, but also those really, really, really big heart opening emotions of love and joy and all the things like that, that can also be really challenging to feel and that your nervous system can hold on to. And mine does that. But uh, I probably didn't talk about that side of things very much in this episode. I'm more focused on, I guess, the anger that can well up and the conf- conflict around feeling like you should be enjoying motherhood and loving your baby, but the struggle that can come from being so demanded of and generally with, you know, kind of little support if there's no one to help you out with so much. But anyway, I'll leave you with that one. I'll go on to my disclaimer and then we'll get on with the episode. I am a provisional psychologist with my PhD or my doctorate in education but I'm not a medical doctor so all of the content that I provide about mind-body healing in any medium including but not limited to this podcast and my social media channels is for informational purposes only. No content provided by me is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The purpose is to promote broad understanding and knowledge of various health topics. If you choose to use any information provided by me, you do so solely at your own risk. Always seek the guidance of your doctor or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or medical condition. Do not embark on a mind-body healing journey until you have the clearance from your healthcare practitioner to do so, until you have discussed how to apply mind-body healing to your own individual case. The methods discussed by guests on the show are not necessarily endorsed by me. Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing Podcast. I'm your host Felicia Jaramus, and today I am here with, well, just myself. So today I'm going to be doing a well overdue solo episode. I've definitely been putting it off because solo episodes make me pretty nervous and also I feel like I have way too much to say so it does feel a little bit overwhelming but Basically, the theme I'm going for in this episode is entering into motherhood and all things TMS related to that, because I have had a range of symptoms pop up that I've had to manage since birthing my baby in February last year. And I think that's, you know, because birthing a child, becoming a mother is a pretty big trigger. It's such a vulnerable, emotional, stressful, challenging, amazing, beautiful all the things, kind of time of your life and generally isolating, uh, not so much support, not definitely not as much support as is needed or understanding. And I actually have a quote from Steve Ozanich. It was on one of the TMS forums. It was way back in 2013, but it still illustrates a point. And he said that, well over the ha- well over half of the people who have contacted me over the past six months have been girls slash ladies who have just had babies. So the point obviously is that mothers, new mothers, experience TMS in extraordinarily high numbers. And the statistics around this stuff are actually crazy. So new mums are suffering with things like anxiety, depression, back pain, neck pain, TMJ. RSI, this thing called mum, thumb, sciatica, insomnia. And the list really goes on and on and on after their birth, after the birth of their babies in pretty high numbers. So mental health alone is about one in five women. I don't have the stats on physical pain. It would have just taken me too long to find them. Um, But so many women I've met after birth, so many new mums like me in the mums groups and stuff that I've been to. I have reported experiencing new and ongoing symptoms. It was just the other day, actually, a woman at the gym who I hadn't seen in a while said she'd been away because she just had surgery for her RSI. So, you know, most of them have no clue about this kind of mind-body healing world. Um, don't get me wrong. Obviously, some post-birth symptoms are clearly related to the massive physical and hormonal changes that happen in your body as a result of growing, carrying, and birthing a human being. I mean, that's just huge, right? It it takes a toll. But when it does go beyond the kind of normal healing period, then we've in all likelihood got some mind-body stuff going going on. And in this episode, I really want to delve into the why um, and just maybe touch a little here and there on my own experience but I do want to loop back here, actually, before I get started and say that if you're not familiar with TMS and mind-body pain and the role of the nervous system, please go back and listen to some previous episodes. I will be assuming listeners have already understand these things in this episode. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some previous podcast episodes. I've had so many wonderful guests who've healed from such an amazing incredible array of conditions and listening to those stories will definitely give you an idea that basically any chronic kind of pain thing can be generated by the brain by the mind and body connection and that's because all pain we experience is processed by the brain that's everything including things like a broken leg right you don't feel that unless the brain tells you to feel it basically um okay so where to where to start I think actually what I'll do first is I might go and talk about my TMS symptoms because I think that will appeal to the broadest audience. Um, So I would say nothing severe has has popped up for me. Like it's been has not been anywhere near the level it was at its worst. And it's not going going anywhere near constant like it was. And I think that is because I have so many strategies to manage it now but i have had just like really lots of my old niggles right those old neural pathways in the brain have opened back up so niggles in my face teeth jaw neck shoulders uh i would say though this time round it's been so different because while i've had those niggles the fear attached to the symptoms just isn't there I've had these symptoms before, it's old, it's not, like, I haven't been worried about them, that they're going to stay around forever, I haven't been worried that I can't cope, I have not needed any pain relief at all, on days when I've had insomnia, I've been able to just lay there and tell myself, you know, my body knows how to sleep, this is okay, largely have not had any problems fixating on them, um... You know, days where they may be a little bit more present, it's more just like, oh, hello, I know you're here to tell me that I'm stressed, and I know I'm stressed. The situation I'm in is challenging. It is stressful. I'm caring for a small infant who needs 24-7 care, who has a lot of high needs and quite urgent needs often at times, and there's kind of no way around that, right? And I know that it's okay because this will pass for me. It's passed before. I would say, though, that I'm definitely having more and more pain-free days again. And that's because I got to the crux of why the symptoms are here recently. I actually went back just to touch base with a therapist and do a few therapy sessions. um, You know, to help me with the perfectionism that I've been experiencing some bit bit of rage about you know society and how isolated mothers are and fear for my son in that society and my kind of lack of control um yeah anyway just touching base to work with a therapist and um she actually alerted me last session when she was talking about spiritual bypassing I was like, Oh my gosh, I know what this is. I am not feeling all of my feelings again. So the thing was when Bob was first born, I put a lot of effort into trying to feel everything that came up into my nervous system. Um, it was just all these amazing, huge, big heart opening emotions, just really a lot of them. Um, but kind of, I guess, as time went on, I sort of that process because it was a lot of work, particularly on days when I was feeling overwhelmed. Right, when Yuri's at work, he's a shift worker, so it is just me with Bob from the moment Bob wakes up to the moment Bob goes to sleep. And it can be like really tough those days. So I let my self-care go go a bit. And the thing is, for my nervous system in particular, its default for so long was not to feel anything. I think we talk a lot about suppressing rage, but my nervous system has a tendency to suppress everything that isn't sadness, including, you know, happiness, all those good, so-called good emotions, right? It just bypasses the sensation of the emotion. And I've been in the process over the last few years of undoing that as a default, But at some point, my nervous system slipped back to that as a default. And I did not notice so much because I was, you know, too overwhelmed with all the bub stuff. The feelings were all too big. It was too much of it. Um, I mean, I still experience alexithymia where I can't tell what the sensations in my body actually mean. I'm still learning to decode those. But I have gone back to really consciously trying to feel my emotions in the present moment or whenever I feel an emotion sitting in my nervous system that's getting ready to express itself as much as I can. I'm not perfect. Some days I still let it slip because it just becomes a bit much. And my strategy for that is just to be attending to myself, just to notice that I can feel when I have something that's kind of sitting there that wants to express itself When I feel it there, I need to rest into it, relax into it, do a little bit of tracking, follow it. You know, it's usually in my throat, my chest, my solar plexus or my stomach. Watch it as it shifts, grows bigger and you just keep relaxing into it until I get that full release, right? Actually, a really interesting thing that I'll share is that my therapist told me in our first session together that when we are parenting it's really common for things to get triggered in us from around the same age as our kid is and she said that through parenting we are offered the opportunity to heal our wounds so something you can experience as a new mother obviously is big feelings from the present and at the same time big feelings from the past So you're feeling all of these really big things all at once. Yeah, but I'm back there focusing on that. Other things I've been doing are just my standard nervous system practices. So just attending to my nervous system, really trying to feel when that fight or flight energy kicks in, right? So when you've been attending to yourself for enough, you really can feel the difference when you're in that state or not. And sometimes, you know, I feel it go in that state changing a nappy or something and I'm like oh wait actually I'm you know I can feel it so I just stop and take a little I relax myself and tell myself I'm safe until I kind of can feel myself drop out of it again so just kind of really attending to my nervous system always focusing on my breath I just love my breath Um, noticing when it's fast or shallow breathing more slowly when I'm feeling overwhelmed uh and then of course a hard one but trying to find the time to nourish myself. So I do things like going to Mum's and Bubs Pilates, making sure I'm eating really well, trying to find at least a couple of times a week to meditate, getting you to take Bob for that. And also just really knowing when I need to rest, when I need to just take a day where I just lay outside on a picnic rug or something with Bub. Because particularly that I'm not sleeping through the night, I'm picking up and carrying around a 10 kilo baby all day, my body does seem to need a bit more rest. But if I'm honest, I think the crux really has been that I was not feeling my feelings again. And I guess reflecting on all of that, I feel like this is, is, as my therapist said, offering me a real opportunity to do more healing, more growing to become even more self-aware and actually in many ways I've been really really grateful for what has been coming up for me for what I've been able to process and just for the awareness that I had developed before becoming a mum that I have all these tools and strategies now all around really I'd say things are going pretty great I feel like I'm almost back on the bandwagon again (laughs) after, um, you know, a few months of symptoms, but as I said before, it just felt like old hat. I wasn't never been afraid of them or worried about them or it was so, so different for me this time. So I guess what I will say though, is if you are having a relapse and your nervous system does have a tendency to just suppress things, which I think most people in this space does ask yourself. What am I not feeling right now? Am I feeling all of my feelings? Okay, so I want to move on now and talk about why new parents, and in particular new mothers, have TMS or mind-body symptoms in droves. So that quote from Steve Rosane really illustrates this. And I think this might be the point where a lot of listeners switch off, but this information is so vital for everyone to know. Because we really need to be supporting our new mums better than we do particularly if we understand that the first few years of a child's life are so foundational to their emotional well-being for the rest of their life, right? We need our mums to be healthy for our bubs to be healthy. So for this, this is for you mums and dads and anyone supporting children or parents or just everyone. I guess though the problem that I had when I was thinking about this episode is that the list of reasons I could come up with was so incredibly long. And every time I was thinking about this episode, I kept adding new things on. So I'm going to try and stick to a few key things and narrow it down a bit. But um, I might, I'm probably going to miss a few things and I'm going to try not to waffle but I think probably the big ones are hormones and brain changes, birth and birth trauma, crushing responsibility, body changes, relationship changes, time and lifestyle changes, and really just the demands of motherhood without a village and the pressure to do it all, be it or have it all. Also, this one, which is personal for me, the perfectionism that comes with being a cycle-breaking mum. And not really having any elders or anything like that to lean on for any advice or to call in or to call on for support when things are really tough with bub. But I'm going to start with the hormone, brain changes, nervous system, neuroplasticity part because I think this part is super fascinating stuff that is under-researched. I mean, it's only just starting to get some real attention now. By disclaimer, I'm obviously not an expert on this. And if you want more information, definitely look up. His name is Oscar Saralak. I found him to be really informative about it when I was doing a bit of research on this. And he has some really, really good podcasts on the topic. But, okay, in brief, when you become a mother, in every pregnancy, you go through a process that now has a label that's been called matricence. And the end of that word, essence, Is similar to adolescence, right? Essence, adolescence, matrescence. Similarities for a reason. During pregnancy and early postpartum, your brain goes through the most incredible transformation, just as it does during puberty. But for during matrescence, we have all this rewiring that occurs to prepare you for new motherhood. So the brain actually shrinks. I think it's something like five to eight percent in size during pregnancy and that's driven by the hormones in the placenta and it's a lot of synaptic pruning that occurs and it's not a bad thing your brain shrinking is not a bad thing it actually happens to prepare mums for an intense period of learning after birth so the brain kind of prunes away all of this old stuff So that once the baby is born, it has room to grow again and make all of these new connections and pathways as the mum is learning how to care for the baby. And it does grow back to its pre-pregnancy size. And I believe that could take about two years. But the important or not important, but significant thing here is that while it does go back to the same size, it is a different brain, right? Your hardware is now so different. In addition to this, our new mums develop a whole bunch of new oxytocin receptors. Millions more oxytocin receptors than they've had previously and millions more than men will ever have. And this is significant because the happiness for new mums now becomes mediated by oxytocin. So I'm going to read you a quote from Oscar Serulak on this, who I was talking about before. So this quote, let me get it up. The way I'm interpreting the research is that a mother's stress response system has gone from her previous me. Am I safe? Am I okay? This oxytocin To this oxytocin-infused we, are we safe? Are we okay? Does this make sense for us? That can sometimes extend away beyond the baby. Sometimes it can be the family unit. Sometimes it can be the community. Sometimes it can be the world. This is a very raw feeling that mothers can have. I hear so many mothers so they can't watch the news anymore, they cry at commercials, their ability to tolerate things really changes, End quote. So basically, a new mom is not the same person after having a baby. Her biology, her brain, her nervous system is completely and profoundly transformed. How to regulate herself, how to feel safe, how to bring safety to her nervous system has all Changed. And as we kind of talk about in the TMS space, pain is a danger signal. It occurs when we don't feel safe. And mums now need to learn how to make themselves feel safe again. This new way of being in this new brain and nervous system. And I think it's crazy how this stuff works in real life. Okay, so an example for me, I can not stand the sound of Bob being upset my tolerance for it is really 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 low so much lower than Yuri's and you'll hear mums talk about this all the time how dads just don't hear it the way we do and as an example yesterday we were at the dinner table and Bob started to get a little bit you know he was signaling that signaling that he wanted to get down because he'd finished and he'd been finished for a little while it was Yuri's turn to get him down and I was like I'll just wait for Yuri to do it and I was like getting so frustrated and it hadn't been very long but it was like Yuri can you not hear him and Yuri's like oh is he done it's just like they're just the nervous systems are so different mine is so connected to that sense of we in a ways that Yuri is not right so A new mom is just thrust into this new reality here. And there are actually more changes that occur during a single pregnancy to the brain than for the entire adolescence. So what this means is that women who have just had children are intensely vulnerable. And I think I've heard it said somewhere that it takes about five to seven years for a mom to get used to the new version of her after birth. I would argue that this is something that is not talked about or recognized in society. Most women, or at least pretty much I've spoken to, have never come across this information. They're just not aware. They just get this sense that they're not quite themselves after birth and they don't know why. In addition to this, this can actually trigger some really big identity shifts, often unexpectedly. So some women find they don't like their job anymore, they want something a bit meaningful or they find they want to be home with their baby where they didn't think they would, they have difficulty being away from their baby or I don't know, they might suddenly find they don't get along with some of their old friends, right, because their brain has changed and obviously this can trigger some really big feelings, a lot of grief for women, a lot of missing their old life. And this is particularly true because a lot of parenting is tough, lonely, and isolating. More so than I think you can be prepared for, which also triggers grief. And I'll talk more on that side of things later on. It's also hindered, I guess, by a bounce back culture. And this idea, I saw a quote on social media, it was something like, our culture treats parenting as an add-on to your life rather than an important feature of your life. So there's this idea that you can just add it on right? You just kind of get back to your old job, back to your old friends, back to your old everything. And you just like have this parenting on the side, which is really not how it works. Um, (laughs) Definitely not how it works for most women. Um, For me, that was never desirable. I did use becoming a mother as an opportunity to continue trying to live my life more from an aligned place of, from a heart space. Um, Anyway. Okay. Where was I? I guess now if we're reflecting on how emotions can trigger big feelings and a sense of unsafety in our nervous system, I hope we're getting a picture here of why women are so vulnerable to TMS symptoms after birth. But there's a lot more to it. So the next thing I guess is the big hormone crash that comes as well and how this can really be a trigger for lots of postpartum mental health issues. So those first few weeks after birth, as estrogen levels and progesterone levels plummet back to their pre-pregnancy state. So during birth, your estrogen and progesterone levels, no, not during birth, during pregnancy, your estrogen and progesterone levels climb really high, slowly over the pregnancy. And I would argue that this is responsible for the so-called pregnancy glow and those kind of feel-good feelings but they return back to their pre-pregnancy state shortly after birth and they do that really rapidly. I think it's on about day four post-birth. There's this huge plummet and it's actually the largest and most sudden hormonal change in the shortest amount of time for any human being at any point in their life cycle. Impressive, right? (laughs) Go us uh, birthing women. And the thing is estrogen and progesterone are modulators of mood in that they have a beneficial effect on your mood and they buffer the physiological response to stress. So not surprisingly, it is very normal to experience what we call the blues. So tears, anxiety, intrusive thoughts and so on during the plummet of these emotions that physiologically make you feel good, right? And the thing is, if you're in a supportive environment, which nurtures you, the blues pass as your bodies adjust to the lower hormone levels, to these kind of pre-pregnancy hormone levels. But if your environment is not so supportive, then the risk that these blues will continue on to postpartum depression, anxiety, and all sorts of postpartum mood disorders is pretty high. I think, as I was saying before, the statistics are about one in every five women. And actually, my baby blues were insane. This is where I can really totally see the impact of hormones on your mood and mental state. So for me, I think it was about day five, I woke up with the worst case of anxiety I've ever had in my whole life. So fears I've lived with in the past, previous fears, come back up and were front and center in my mind. To to be fair, I was was worried Yuri was going to die and leave me alone to care for this baby. (laughs) And it was so interesting because I had no control over it. I just had these really intrusive thoughts that kept coming in. And I had no choice but to just kind of watch them and try really hard not to enter into them. And at times I definitely did. And it wasn't just thoughts either. I remember I was vomiting as well. I was so anxious that I was vomiting at times had a real hard time eating as well. And it was a real exercise in testing all the skills I learned in terms of being mindful and managing my nervous system. And I had some tears as well, but it was mostly anxiety for me. Um, yeah, I was grateful to have the skills I had. And I don't like the thought of having to go through that again if I do have another child. Um, but it was pretty crazy. Um, I guess... In this kind of broader TMS space, sort of even outside of the topic of pregnancy and birth, a lot of women do have challenges with the kind of normal hormonal fluctuations in their bodies as a kind of trigger for TMS symptoms. Now, I know I certainly did. I used to get very severe migraines around menstruation, so around my period. That was when I had the worst of my pain, particularly while I was a teenager, And I've heard a lot of women with this question of what? Well, it's hormonal. It's related to my hormones. How do I know it's TMS? Okay. So I just finished reading a book by Channa Sudley called Very Well, a novel about hormones. Women and why Freud was wrong. And while it's a fiction novel, she's actually packed a lot of reference facts and education in the book as well. It's really good. So I'm going to paraphrase something. So these are this is um, from the book that I've paraphrased. Research has shown that experiences during puberty have lasting effects on the way the body has, responds to the hormones of estrogen and progesterone. So while they typically have a beneficial effect for women in terms of their mood, stress during puberty appears to reverse or even eliminate the anti-anxiety and antidepressant qualities of estrogen and progesterone. And furthermore, women with mood disorders With mood disorders related to their hormonal cycles and women with postpartum mood disorders are typically those who have and you probably won't be surprised here a history of trauma because these women have greater sensitivity to their normal hormonal fluctuations therefore women with issues related to their hormonal cycles are actually best categorized as having stress disorders the problem is not the hormones or the balance of hormones, but the way the mind-body system is working with these hormones. So I thought that was brilliant. So the problem is not the hormones themselves, but the way the mind-body system is responding to the hormones, just to reiterate that. And that's the same as kind of like back pain, right? It's lots of people go pain-free with that like degenerated disc you have. So there's no reason you should have pain either. Lots of people go pain-free with those same hormones that you have, right? So there's no reason that you should have these symptoms. But if you're keen on knowing more about that, definitely read that book by Turner Sudley. It was a great read. I really recommend it. Okay, so I've done brain changes, hormonal changes. Let's look at birth and birth trauma. So if we remember that trauma itself is often a big trigger for TMS symptoms, right? Our nervous system can hold on to the lack of safety that trauma creates and can make us feel no longer at home or safe in our body. And if we link this into what I was just talking about, this trauma for women's birth trauma is occurring during an incredibly sensitive period where their brain and nervous system is going through this amazingly plastic reshaping right so the vulnerability here to trauma is so heightened right and estimates are that at least one in every three women experience a birth that they perceive to be traumatic my doula i feel actually described it really nicely when she said that women in labor and even women in postpartum afterbirth are treated like lolly wrappers so they've been discarded for the candy aka the baby inside of them If you're interested in this topic of labor and trauma, or you're pregnant or whatever, I definitely recommend a podcast called The Great Birth Rebellion. But basically, in a lot of Western countries, I can't speak for all of them. I'm speaking from my own system where I'm from. We have a very high intervention system that is fear-based and treats women a little bit like statistics rather than looking at them as individual people. Actually, here's a quick example of that. When I was about 20 weeks into my pregnancy, uh, my midwife weighed me and plotted my weight gain on a graph of averages. And at that point, I had actually gained a lot more weight than the chart said I should have. And she tried to send me to a dietitian. And this was without even really kind of like taking a look at me. If you took a look at me, you could see that I hadn't really gained anything except my little baby belly. Not really sure why I gained so much so quickly, but by the end of my pregnancy, I was in the average. It kind of petered off. I stopped gaining towards the end. But the thing was, right, if you looked at me, you saw that there was kind of nothing odd there. It was just I just got a belly. But because I didn't develop by the chart, my midwife was convinced I needed intervention, right? Anyway, that was a side note. Back to birth. So when it comes to birth, really high intervention and women are very rarely given the opportunity to properly, fully informed consent to procedures. Sometimes information is also hidden from them. Um, and I've had some really horrific stories from other mums that I've met about what they went through during birth. For example, a woman I know was given so much syntocin, So she had an epidural, so she kind of couldn't feel what was happening in her body. And she was given so much, synthetic oxytocin so that's a drug they use to make contractions more regular or forceful her uterus actually ruptured and she was rushed for an emergency c-section and i think the thing though that made it worse is that they never really explained to her why she was rushed for the c-section even like afterwards in the hospital she wasn't exactly told why and it was only after returning to her gp for her six week after birth checkup that she was told her uterus had ruptured and also that she would never be able to have a vaginal birth as a result again. So kind of like the obstetricians who did it to her <laughs> didn't, didn't even decide to tell her. They left it for her GP to, to tell her. But it gets better or worse. That same friend also had her baby kind of whisked away from her the second it was sort of cut out of her because they wanted to double check the health of the baby and the thing was though, the baby was born with an APGA score of nine and nine, which meant it came out pink, crying, healthy, beautiful, right? If you looked at the baby, nobody would have had a concern, but they took her away for inspection and then they finished kind of stitching the mom up while the baby was gone. And then the mum was actually left in a waiting room by herself with no clue where her baby was or what was happening to her baby. And she was all alone, just separated there waiting and she doesn't know how long she left waiting for but she describes it as feeling like an eternity and her GP actually said to her because that gut score was so high there was no need for that to happen that the baby should have been left with her so that's incredible that story can you imagine what that poor mother went through and things like this run in every three women right right when their nervous system is so plastic and vulnerable And recently, actually, there was an inquiry into birth trauma in the state of Australia that I'm from in New South Wales, and I'll just read you a really quick snippet from the newspaper about it. So the inquiry received a record 4,000 submissions from the public and submissions were largely individual testimonies from women who detailed a lack of consent, inadequate pain relief and clinical incompetence. So here are some quotes. The obstetrician broke my water as he said, we have to have this baby today as he didn't have time tomorrow, one woman wrote. Another woman wrote, when the doctor started cutting me, I could feel everything. Another said, zero risks were displayed to me. It was never given the chance to provide informed consent. So unfortunately, these things are common. And I guess it obviously depends on the maternity system. But for where I'm from, women are kind of just released from the hospital really quickly after birth on the same day, um, if it's not a C-section, but without any support from their trauma that they've been through it's kind of like right off you go see you later and then all the follow-up care really goes to the baby bar that one six-week checkup with your GP and so there's no kind of official or formal space for women to even talk about this and then I commonly find if you do try and breach it among your friends and family if you try and talk about it it's really common for people to say oh at least you had a healthy baby and they kind of just shut you down so (laughs) Tough, and I want to say, I want to stop, and I want to say here that if this is you, you have a birth that was traumatic, you are not alone. Your trauma is real, it deserves to be voiced for you to be heard, validated, listened to. Your sense of violation is real, and there are many women who have suffered alongside you. Do not be afraid to seek help. You are allowed to focus on yourself when you need it after birth. So in my local area, there are things that run like birth story circles. So kind of unofficially run by other women who have had birth trauma themselves, where you can go and talk about your birth with other women. So maybe look for things like that in your local area. And then there's obviously, you know, if you can afford it, professional therapy or also free things like journaling, somatic work to help you feel safe in your body again. You know, you might want to write a letter to the hospital. You don't have to send it or give it or anything like that. Just write it out. But yeah, just like, don't be afraid to take that time out for you. Um, yeah. Okay so moving on slightly kind of related to this I was searching some of the TMS groups that I'm a part of on Facebook looking around the topic of birth just so I could make sure I was talking about some relevant things to listeners because this whole podcast episode is slightly tangential to the TMS world Um, but one of the things some women have brought up are unprocessed feelings around their body and feeling let down because they weren't able to have the kind of intervention-free vaginal kind of birth that they wanted or had envisioned. Now I want to say also these feelings are very valid. Birth is so unpredictable and it is okay to feel these things. So I will tell you that I kind of feel the same way about my birth. So I would not perceive my birth at all as being traumatic, but I did not get the birth I wanted. <laughs> and there's been a little bit of grief for me, but in some ways, I think my birth healed my relationship with the medical system a little bit. I was pretty grateful for the infant intervention when it did came, did come. So earlier in the year when I had Yuri on the show, we wanted we talked about, I believe, that we were planning a home birth. And I wanted to go kind of intervention free. I would love to have been able to catch my own baby, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I'd planned to birth through a midwife group practice who sort of had this philosophy of believing in the power of women's bodies to birth. But at the same time, I'd done my education because I know that the unexpected can happen, right? Sometimes interventions are absolutely necessary and they can save mum and bob's life, right? We do just tend to overuse them. So I'd educated myself about all the interventions, what can happen and why. And I was prepared if things go big. Things went pear shape. And thankfully I was well prepared because things did go a bit pear shape. But a pretty big little baby in there who could not get himself into a decent position. The poor little one was posterior posterior, so spine on spine. And also asynclitic, So his head was kind of turned up, his ear was kind of like pressed on his shoulder. And he actually sustained a birth injury from that, from the position that he came out in. He had torticollis and he could only turn his head one way. we had to get some specialist care for him to fix that up. Um, But basically I had a really long labor. In the end it was about three nights without any sleep. I ended up really dehydrated because I was vomiting the entire time. After being at home for well over a day, I did stall at about five centimeters dilated. And my doula kind of explained to me that, you know, the head was not ever sitting evenly on my cervix. And so when that happens, you know, you can kind of hit challenges around the five centimetre mark. And it was at that point that I actually chose to go to hospital and get some pain relief. Um, I remember weighing it up in my head, you know, these are my options. I can stay at home and continue down this pathway. But I'm really exhausted, I'm really dehydrated, I'm probably a very long way away from having this baby and heads up, I was, (laughs) or I can go to the hospital, access some pain relief, and then, you know, I'm probably likely to be intervened on, so the thing is, I was intervened on, Um, when I got there, they straight away wanted to give me the syntocin, the synthetic oxytocin, because my contractions were all over the shop still, because of Bub's positioning, which then definitely led to me, led to me wanting the epidural, um, just to get some rest, and then the episiotomy and the ventus, and that is what they call the cascade of intervention, which is a very common birth outcome. But you know, my midwife did say to me afterwards that if I had a stayed home, you know, the baby would have been born, could have been born without all of that intervention. But I do consider that it probably would have been more traumatic for me, given how exhausted and dehydrated I was. So in some ways, yes, I'm glad I made the decision to go to hospital. It was still like almost 12 hours after going to hospital before the baby was born. So And that was even with the help of the synthetic oxytocin making my contractions a lot stronger. So anyway, um, the obstetricians who came in and helped me with my labor were really beautiful, more beautiful than I was expecting given the rate of birth trauma. They did really try to seek my consent for everything. And in the end, I was grateful to have that assistance and that I was in a place of the world where I could access that. Um, So in some ways, it was a bit healing. And I am proud of myself. 42 weeks of pregnancy, an over four kilogram baby who was above the 97th percentile in length, above the 97th percentile in head circumference. Yes, I grew him, nurtured him and did birth him after a very, very long labor. And I'll stop at this point and say, if you are one of those women who did need to get a C-section for some reason, just know that you still birthed your baby. You still grew your baby. You still did all the things. And actually for me, I'm in awe of you because C-sections scare the living daylights out of me because of the recovery period afterwards. So you also did that. You recovered from major surgery while nursing this beautiful new baby who needed so very much of you. I think after birth is one of those times where a woman should feel really powerful. She should be able to sit in her power and be like, I did this, right? It's such an amazing thing. But at the same time, if you do have these unresolved or mixed feelings about birth, I want you to know they're valid and you are not alone. And it is okay to seek help for these you do not have to suffer in silence okay so moving on from birth we have women in this enormously vulnerable place their brain and nervous system is rapidly changing many women already have trauma from the birth then there's this emotionally vulnerable period where your hormones are crashing and at the same time everyone wants to rush in and see the baby right at the same time that you're adjusting to this huge, enormous new responsibility, you've got this new person who needs 24-7 constant care, a newborn feeds every few hours round the clock, and all through the first year really and beyond, the level of support they need is incredibly intensive, to the point where it's hard some days to meet your own basic needs for things like food, water, and sleep, let alone needs for things like good conversation, mental stimulation, and so on. Right, you want to eat a meal? Forget about it. The baby's crying. You need to use the toilet. Better make sure you take that baby with you. You want decent sleep? No, thank you. Babies wake frequently. You want a shower? Not today. And on and on it goes, right? Oh, and learning to breastfeed as well can be super emotionally and physically challenging for mums. Breastfeeding was challenging for me, but not super challenging. I got lucky. I know lots of women struggle with that as well, which can lead to a lot of emotions. We have a lot of bad advice around things like breastfeeding and baby sleep in our culture, but I won't go into them here. I actually, actually, I read an article not that long ago about a mom who had bad postpartum depression and she said everywhere I went to try and get help, the only thing they asked me about was how my baby was sleeping. And yeah, my baby was sleeping rubbish, but that wasn't the problem. It was that I had no support. Anyway, I digress. Um, okay, so back to early postpartum. You have all these visitors coming in right when you're really intensely vulnerable. And I don't want to say too much about my early postpartum because I know people were well-meaning. But I think being told that my milk was probably bad and that I was still fat, don't worry, exercise will probably fix it, probably takes a cake. Maybe that and being looked at and... Did they cut you? <laughs> um, yeah, I did have some amazing friends who dropped off food, which was nice. And Yuri was absolutely incredible the entire time. But I think the postpartum, the understanding of mums and how to nurture mums, and of the intense vulnerability in our culture, is just not there. Uh, and then I guess what happens postpartum period, everyone flocks in wants to see the baby. You get the odd person who wants to offer some kind of genuine support. And then it dies down. And then you're really in it. And I think the thing that shocked me, has shocked me, is that I'm we're close to the one year mark now. And the needs are still really, really, really high. Right? The sleepless nights, the days without a shower, The being really upset all day, like the baby, obviously, uh, just doesn't end after the newborn phase. It goes on, but people kind of expect you to have your shit together. And if we're talking about fight or flight energy, there are days where it's everywhere And often, you know, I find myself rushing to scoff down food or rushing to go to the toilet or rushing to rush, 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 because I know at any second Bob can start crying and really need me. And their needs are so urgent. It's very much like you can't just, oh, I'm just going to sit here and finish my meal while you lose your mind over the fact that you've just fallen and bumped your head, right? You've got to drop it and you've got to go over to them. And some of the days still, right, teething and sickness and, Some of those days are still so tough and it's a miracle to be able to find the time to eat, drink, use the toilet. And I would say for a lot of mums, that can probably breed a lot of anger. So let's talk about that. So I think most mums probably have this feeling that they're quote unquote, not supposed to get angry at their baby. They're supposed to enjoy this precious miracle and soak up every moment and don't get me wrong the love is overwhelming but there are also some big difficult feelings there actually at one of the moms groups i went to in the beginning one of the moms said to, said every time i'm in bed and i hear my baby cry through the monitor my back spasms which you know speaks for itself in terms of anger and frustration and just desperately wanting to rest and I think the tough part is because we were never supposed to raise babies in such isolation. There's a quote that stands out to me from one of the books I was re- I read to prepare me for motherhood. And it was something along the lines of, if it feels like a lot of work, it's because it's too much work for two people. You need to feel like you're doing at least 60% to be doing your share. And as a woman, I think it feels like more than 60% because suddenly you've also been given all of this new cognitive labor so let's talk a little bit about the cognitive overwhelm from all of the emotional work that you now have to do right the invisible labor of being a mum that society is only just starting to recognize this one i think has been particularly tough for me scheduling everything doctor's appointments play dates keeping on top of bubs developmental changes educating myself about food and the food he was supposed to eat making sure he was getting the sleep when he was supposed to sleep keeping on top of clothes because he grew so fast bibs diapers washing you know calming him down preparing organizing anticipating everything emotional and practical just doing everything that needs to get done to make life flow You know, Yuri can help out and he stays off as much as he wants, but I'm the reason why there are clean clothes in the cupboard when he opens the cupboard to dress the baby. I'm the reason why there's food in the fridge when he opens the fridge to feed the baby. Like, nothing gets done, really, without my labour. And I reckon that's what's in part... We've, of course, gone through these massive brain changes, but this is also behind baby brain. I'm just putting it out there. And Yuri is wonderful. He really does help out a lot and as much as he can. It's just that, as I was saying before, it's too much work for two people. So on that, you're also dealing with huge shifts in your relationship. So little time for each other. Feeling like all you're doing is giving of yourself. So according to a quick Google... About a fifth of couples break up during the 12 months after having a baby. Uh, This next page. uh, For 90% of couples, marital bliss dies within a year after the birth of their first child. So, yeah. Uh, For me, I think this hasn't been too bad. Things have been pretty solid since we had Bob. I would say that's because we did a lot of work together work on communication. I did a lot of the TMS work beforehand. We've got really similar parenting styles and philosophies, which has been really great, particularly as for me trying to be a perfectionist cycle breaker parent, trying to be a recovering perfectionist. Uh, what else is that? I'm almost at the end. I think isolation is a really big one. I always try and make sure I get out the house as many days of the week as possible because otherwise you can just spend all day in your house with an upset baby with nobody to talk to except a baby it's very challenging it makes me really angry actually how on the margins mothers are in society how lonely and isolated I often look around and I go where are the spaces for new mums to go I mean, there are classes and things I can take Bob to, but they all cost money. It can be a struggle to find friends who are mothers as well. I mean, they, you know, you might join up to some mothers groups, but that doesn't mean you have anything in common other than the fact that you just birthed the baby, right? Sometimes you can have dramatically different parenting philosophies and dramatically different outlooks on life, which is what happened to me when I joined up with my mum's group. Right, are we getting a picture here of why mums are angry? Okay, the last one, Mm, body image issues. I cannot tell you the amount of people who thought it's okay to comment on the size and shape of my body since becoming pregnant. When I was pregnant, it was, are you sure you don't have twins in there? Because I did have a very large belly and I did show very large early on. Hence what I was talking about before the weight. Again, um, in my early postpartum, I had someone look at me and tell me that I was still fat just a few days after giving birth. Recently, when I had a, after a bad case of diarrhea, that same person actually looked at me and told me that I was too skinny, and they were worried about me. Um, yeah, to all the listeners out there, don't comment on a woman's body ever, and particularly during an incredibly sensitive time. I would say I'm lucky in that none of those things really bothered me. My main issue has actually been how my body feels rather than what it looks like, you know, losing all of the strength around my core and in my pelvic floor. Lots of women have pelvic floor challenges after birth, which is another thing that really isn't talked about. Lots of women suffer in silence. I've had to do some pelvic floor therapy. Um, Pilates has been helping. I'm almost back to feeling, you know, how I was, but feeling so weak for so long was so challenging for me. Okay. I think I've covered all of the main things. Maybe I didn't reiterate enough the crushing responsibility of having a baby, the 24-7 needs. Just, I cannot even... Explain how I was prepared not to have much time for myself, but oh boy! <laughs> but in also saying all of those things, I have said before, and I will say it again: the last twelve months have been hands down one of the best years of my life. And yes, while I felt angry, the amount of love I felt has been at least double, triple the amount of challenging feelings I've had. I was lucky in that I was already operating in this kind of mind-body space before I had a baby, which had given me so many skills and gave me so much preparation for this. I think I can't actually express how unbelievably grateful I am that I've developed the skills to be as emotionally aware as I am. I mean, i am obviously still got work to do and I'm still working on it, but my ability to self regulate now and to just, you know, stop and take a breath and not act on any of my feelings and breathe through it and go, yeah, pick up my baby and have empathy for him, you know, rather than yelling or losing my mind or, you know, just be able to let that emotion pass. And prior to this, I'm pretty sure I would have been yelling and screaming and melting down probably a depressed anxious mess but I'm not any of those things and that's because I spent two years doing TMS work before I had a baby and I've been able to love it and enjoy it and thrive and put in place a lot of strategies to help me manage a lot of the difficult things like leaving the house every day, doing my mum's and bub's Pilates um, and the biggest one is making my parenting choices from a place of love and intuition. I think everyone thinks they can comment on your parenting choices. Everywhere there's someone going, you should breastfeed. Someone going, you should bottle feed. Someone going, you're doing the wrong thing with this. Or someone going, you should sleep train. Or you should co-sleep. Or you should this. Or you should that. And I feel like it doesn't matter what choice you make. Someone is going to question that. But I feel privileged in that I had developed the skills to really choose by my heart and so it doesn't really matter that much when people are questioning me because I know I've chosen something that is in alignment with me and Yuri has supported me every step of the way in all of the choices we've made and my little guy is happy and thriving and he has a secure attachment. tell you what I've never been more proud of anything that I have done in my entire life. I've loved breastfeeding more than I ever thought I would. I've loved watching him grow. I love watching him learn all of his new skills. It is such a double-edged sword of like, you watch him grow and learn and it's amazing. But then at the same time, it's like, oh my God, one day you're going to be an adult and you're going to have your own life. And that is so scary. You know, I think to myself, do I have the strength to let you go? Something I'm going to have to be mindful of. And the grief there already, like grief that my newborn baby, he's not a newborn baby anymore. Anyway, I could go on forever, but I won't. I will stop. I will wrap up. I will say, if you are a new mom or a new parent and you're experiencing some mind-body TMS stuff or you excited experiencing this stuff upon entering into parenthood, it's just so normal being a parent. is hard. It's stressful on your nervous system, particularly without a village of people to help you out. And it's work that's not valued in our society. It's really not valued the way it should be. There's really emotional stuff that can tr- trigger a lot of stuff from your own childhood. And so you're dealing with these really big emotions in the now and perhaps these really big emotions from your past all at the same time. All while maybe not being able to use the toilet. Eat when you want to eat. And helping this little person deal with their own really big emotions. So just know that you're doing amazing job. If you're working through your stuff. You're trying to be conscious. You're doing amazingly. And this feels hard because it is hard. Keep with your journaling. Keep with your meditation. Keep with the trying to be self-aware of your triggers in the moment. Keep attending to your nervous system. And the mind-body stuff. This too shall pass. And I know the time doesn't feel like it's there, but often I'll put Bob to bed and I'll sit there next to him. And that's where I'll do my practices at the end of the day, right? Sometimes that's all you've got, but you can be attending to your nervous system all day. I've actually taken to like writing poetry and stuff, which I've never done before in my life. But at the end of the day, sometimes been really, um, yes, yeah, burn on me some creativity as a result of motherhood, but Anyway, mom, dad, if you're listening, you've got this. I've got faith in you. Please reach out to me if you want to have a chat. Don't forget. Um, yeah, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, email. Yeah, I hope I've done this justice, this topic justice. It was important to me. There was so, so, so much more I could say, but um, it's done now. I hope it was useful to you. Anyway, I'd love some feedback. Let's see you next time.